Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Today, we are speaking with Grace Schwartzentruber, a full-spectrum doula and owner of All Bodies, All Births Doula Services about doula services. And I also want to share with our listeners that I should be a little less out of breath this episode. I have finally given birth, so I feel like I can breathe again. I had a healthy baby boy. His name is Forrest, and he was born on April 5th, so I apologize for previous episodes where I sounded like I was running a marathon the entire time I was speaking. (laughs) So uh, we also want to remind our listeners that you can find our newly redesigned show notes on our Patreon page by becoming a patron and supporter of the Woman-Centered Health podcast by going to our website, www.womancenteredhealth.com and clicking on the support us slash Patreon tab. Also, if you missed our big news, nurses can now earn CE for listening to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Just check out mycehq.com or download the CEHQ app or visit our website, again, www.womancenteredhealth.com to learn more. And I guess I should have plugged this as well. He is sitting next to me, so you may hear him chirping in a little bit. We're going to multitask today. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. I feel like this is a long time coming. I kind of always hear chatter about you in uh, the Iowa City community and then also love everything that I ever have seen you say on social media, like I in the mom groups and all that. So thank you again. So the first question we always ask our guests is if you can share with our listeners some of the details about your background. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie and Nicole. I'm honored to be here and be a guest on your show. My undergraduate degree is actually in theater and social policy. I trained to become a birth and postpartum doula in 2016 after the birth of my first son. Since then, I've become part of a doula group partnership business. And then in 2019, I started my own solo doula practice. As you mentioned, Nicole, all bodies, all births, doula services. I specialize in cesarean support, VBAC support, induction support, and right now uh, heavily in the postpartum support as I've recently gone off call for um, birth support. I have in the state of Iowa supported over 50 pregnant, birthing, laboring, postpartum families in Iowa since becoming a doula. I also founded and helped to administer our local doula networking group, which is called Doulas of Iowa City. And I co-founded and helped facilitate our local community pregnant and postpartum support group, which has both a Facebook and an in-person component. I've been contributing to committees, commissions, boards, and initiatives at the state level also to help advance maternal outcomes in Iowa as well. Thank you so much. So we, the other question we always ask our guests, which is our favorite question, is what informs your perspective? In other words, why do you do what you do and what is most valuable to you? 
That's such a great question. I took a lot of social work courses during undergrad and had considered being a doula soon after graduation, but ultimately it was the birth of my first child in 2015 and my own experience during that pregnancy, labor, and postpartum that compelled me to become a doula. I'm really passionate about maternal mental health, and I feel strongly that as a society, we must do more to support birthing people and their families through this major life transition. It impacts so much, and having good support and resources in place has the potential to really ripple out into our family systems and beyond into our communities at large. My own birth experiences did not unfold how I had hoped, and I uh, felt that I could have had more support during those processes that maybe um, would have helped me thrive. And I want so much for folks in our, our communities and beyond to thrive during the childbearing year. Well, thank you so much, Grace. So like we said, today we're going to talk about doulas, so let's jump right in. Our first question is, can you start off by explaining to our listeners what a doula is, what types of training they go through, and what services do they provide? Absolutely. There's often confusion surrounding the role of a doula and exactly what a doula does. Technically, a doula is a trained professional who can provide physical, emotional, and informational support to birthing people throughout the childbearing year with the goal to help them achieve a healthy, empowered, and satisfying birth and postpartum experience. I do this role as a companion or a guide and not as a medical care provider. Uh, Doulas do not perform any clinical tasks or duties in relation to medical care for the birthing person or the baby. There are many different training and certifying organizations that someone can choose to go through uh, to become a doula. I chose ProDoula and Dona International because I wanted to have a varied and nuanced background and understanding in my approach. Doulas can support the full spectrum of life from birth to postpartum to abortion to fertility. And there are also sex doulas, death doulas, and more. So it's a really fascinating topic, and I would encourage your listeners to research more if they're interested in learning about the different kinds of doula support that are available. Yeah, we just kind of over the years of recording this podcast have learned that there are so many different types of doulas, um, even for reproductive or sexual things. So it's it's been a really neat experience. And if there's any other doulas out there who do, um, I think we have chatted with a period doula, but we haven't had her on yet. But um, feel free to reach out. Yeah. And I forgot to mention, there are also uh, doulas who specialize in loss. So perinatal loss oh. is a specialty that some doulas also focus on. I have a little bit of training there, but not as extensively as some. Yeah, I could really see how that would be beneficial. So what are some of the reasons that a pregnant person hire a doula? Yeah, there are lots of reasons. And I find that it's different for everyone. Some clients want the reassurance of someone who's knowledgeable about the process of pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum, someone they can turn to with questions. Some clients have a lot of anxiety and they really just need someone to be alongside them to support them with the informational support, with the resources and the connections. Some folks have a history of trauma or a previous undesired birth experience or outcome. And so they may be hiring a doula, hoping for a different experience and a more supported experience with a subsequent pregnancy in birth and postpartum. 
I find that lots of people are hiring a doula because they're seeking an unmedicated or natural birth, although I feel strongly that all births are natural and deserve support, perhaps even more so when they don't go according to plan, which I have lots of personal and professional experience. My own two births ended up becoming long, unwanted inductions and challenging cesarean births with rough recoveries. So I think that Although I, I've had clients go into hiring me thinking, oh, I'm hiring a doula, I'm going to you know, have that unmedicated natural birth. When our birth plans take other twists and turns, they find that it was actually more valuable to have that doula support who had the knowledge for supporting a family-centered cesarean or supporting an epidural or a complicated induction. You don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know if now's the time to get into this, but I ended up with a unplanned C-section and I feel like having someone who is there to be like a constant voice during the whole process because it's like once they decide you're having a C-section, it's like your room's flooded with people and all these things start happening and there was one person, she was the nurse anesthetist and if not for her, I probably, excuse my language, would have just like lost it and went batshit in surgery because she was like the one voice among all this talking who was like, okay, now they're doing this. Now this is going to happen. Now this is going to happen. And like without her, I, I really don't know what I would have done. And I would imagine that a doula would kind of be that same role, like just that constant voice who's like calm and being like, this is what's going to happen. Now they're doing this and now they're doing this because everyone, it becomes very sensory overload real quick. <laughs> That's a really excellent description. I think the sensory overload, most folks are not prepared for that. And it does sound like your nurse anesthetist act, acted as a doula. I think that's awesome. I find some folks don't want to know what's happening. They don't want to know what's happening during the surgery or, or see what's happening during a cesarean birth. But some do, and I definitely can help narrate that and explain uh, what's happening, or at least let them know what to expect. I, I'm for sure going to talk about this later, too, but... The main thing a doula does is just validate and empathize with the experience that's happening, letting folks know what they're going through is normal, or, or just kind of coaching them through when things are not normal. Here's what you can do. I need you to focus on your breath. I need you to send you know your breath down to your baby. We've got you. You've got this. Just having that guide there so that that person doesn't feel alone in the experience. Yes, that sounds very lovely <laughs> and like something I would have very much appreciated. Okay, so what are some common misconceptions about doulas that you have heard, particularly from OB-GYN clinicians? Yeah, provider support varies pretty widely from practice to practice and facility to facility. But I'm really grateful that locally here in Iowa City area, we've built really strong, positive, and collaborative working relationships with providers for the most part. That's not the case everywhere else necessarily, and there is for sure a history of potential animosity between doulas and care providers. Sometimes doctors perceive that a doula's role is to get in between the care provider and the patient, uh, to speak on behalf of the patient, to tell the patient to decline interventions. 
Uh, and while I'm sure in the history of time that has happened, in general, the way my colleagues and I approach birth support is that we are there to promote the wishes of the birthing person. And we, as the doula, have no agenda or skin in the game other than to do what we can in our power to help the patient advocate for their own wishes. I would never tell a client what to do. I, I wouldn't give a recommendation unless that was something they specifically asked me for. Uh, never offer my own opinions or advice. My role is to thoroughly explain all options and let the client decide for themselves and support them even when I might not agree with what they have chosen, which has certainly happened in the spectrum of life, right? Like people choose for themselves and my role is to support them. Uh, informed choice and informed consent is a pillar of birth and, and doula support as it should be for everyone who works to care for birthing people. Another misconception I do hear frequently is that a doula is anti-epidural or anti-pain medication, anti-intervention, which is typically not the case, at least speaking for myself and, and my local colleagues. We know that augmentations and interventions in birth are there for a reason and serve a valuable purpose when they are needed. An epidural in particular can be an incredible resource in the case of a really prolonged labor or an induction that's spanning multiple days. And sometimes it's my job to help explain and reassure clients who didn't originally want that as a part of their birth story to perhaps reconsider it in the case of that uh, long birth or other complications that have arisen. Reframing pain medications, reframing interventions, inductions as plot twists versus a failure is a, a tool or a verbiage that I use often because in general, we kind of set folks up for this competitive all or nothing approach to birth and motherhood, parenthood in general, which is really, as you both know, not realistic or fair, and birth kind of follows its own plans. Uh, Nicole, you know that for sure. After this last experience, definitely not what you were preparing for. So yeah, I, it's been a long time since I worked in OB, but I remember, oh, it's probably been 15 years, like, sometimes when patients would have doulas, some of the nurses or doctors would be like, oh, <laughs> This patient is a doula. And I'm hoping that's better since 15 years ago. I don't know how how your experience has been. Yeah, it, it varies pretty widely from facility to facility. I've been lucky to develop really good working relationships with the nurses as well in some of the facilities. But also, my, it just depends on the, the facility that my clients choose to give birth. Like, I don't really have any say in that. And so there definitely is an attitude that is less collaborative and, like, less willing to work together in other facilities who don't necessarily have a lot of experience with doulas because perhaps their patients don't use doulas as much. I think people also associate birth plans with doulas. And while I do help my clients if they choose to make a birth plan, I try to reframe it as birth preferences or birth wishes because, like we know, birth doesn't always follow a plan. And I think there is this kind of feeling when a patient walks in and has a multiple page document listing all these things that are going to happen. Nurses, of course, roll their eyes, right? As you should. And providers roll their eyes because we know that we can't actually control how things go. And so in my opinion, a good doula's job prenatally with their birth clients is to set them up for realistic expectations and talk through the full spectrum of possibilities so that 
if and when things do deviate from quote unquote the plan, you at least have a frame of reference to know, okay, we did talk about X, Y, Z. Okay, I remember talking with Grace about this and that, and that that is a possibility. It's not something I want, but now we're going kind of from plan A to plan B. I know what my options are. I still feel informed, empowered, supported, and respected, even though I'm not getting this, you know, bullet pointed list of what I asked for. So that's a huge part of prenatal education to me is just kind of expanding folks' narrow views and expectations of what birth might look like. And I I think that's really important for our listeners to hear because I feel like when I did OB, if someone came in with a birth plan, it was almost like a jinx. Oh, yeah. Like, well, here's one that's not going to go to plan. (laughs) So it was, it kind of was a total jinx. And you just, it's like, you just almost better to not have anything written down because it just always seemed like no matter what, it was going to go not according to your plan. <laughs> and, and my theory on that, which is fully unresearched and unfounded, is that is just linked with anxiety, right? So those clients are coming in very tight, very tense, very high anxiety, uh, not like working with their breath, not working with their body, not open to other things happening. And and I think it is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy when, when you go in that way. And I mean, I know this because that was me with my first birth, right? Like I was that patient. So yeah, it is, it's a hard thing to kind of teach and explain, but also wanting to reassure as a doula, I want to reassure my patients that their providers and their nurses always have their best interest in mind. I don't see a doula as pit between providers and patients whatsoever. I I really see it as a, a circling of support around a patient where each of us has an individual role and responsibilities that we play, but we're all working together to achieve the same goals. And I think birth preferences are good because you're informed on your options for, you know, labor, birth, and that immediate postpartum. But having an open mind and flexibility, the more we can emphasize that, I think the more satisfied folks are going to be with their birth experiences, too, because then they won't feel like they've failed. I would love, I wonder if there's research out there, now the nerd in me is, this piece where you said about anxiety and coming in and having this tightness, because I totally had anxiety this time that I didn't have before, because I was being induced, which I did not want to be, and, but... My daughter had a recital that dance her first dance recital, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna make it to that recital. So in order to do that, we had scheduled this induction, and the whole time, even the night before, I told my husband, I said, I already know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna get induced, and I don't want to be induced, and then I'm gonna end up with a C-section, and I was just like bitter, so bitter about the idea of like I'm gonna end up with a C-section, and so then when I did, I think that made the process and of like going into surgery and all that so much harder because in my head I was just so against this from the beginning and then I'm like if I wouldn't have been induced I wouldn't need a c-section right now and it was just like this cascade so I had all these extra emotions surrounding going into the c-section that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there (laughs) or so that I'm interested in learning more about that anxiety piece Right, because we know that 
like, yeah, we talk about psychosomatic things in medicine, but we also do know that our, our mental health affects our physical health. And I think we can see that even like with the fascia in our body, when the fascia is tense and tight, the baby, the fetus can't navigate the pelvis as well. And I'm really speaking anecdotally here, just especially what I've observed in the past two years of the pandemic, my personal like rate of my own clients, cesareans, operative vaginal deliveries, uh, inductions and complications applications has skyrocketed versus the years preceding that. And the only thing that I can really overall attribute that to is just much more increased anxiety because of COVID, because of the pandemic and lack of support, because, you know, um, support persons are limited prenatally during birth and postpartum. We're not seeing our friends and family as much. I think it's kind of this multifactored thing that is really, uh, it is worth researching in my opinion, even though what I'm commenting on is anecdotal and just observational. Yeah. And I really like this conversation. I probably have a lot to say on it, but I'll kind of keep it short. But I, I was one of those people. I didn't necessarily feel super anxious with my first. I did have a birth plan, but I, I knew being in my line of work that it was more like what you said, that preferences. But I gave it to my midwife and it was the midwife that I didn't really like who was on call. And she immediately said, you're going to have a C-section as soon as she saw my birth plan. So my tip is for the providers listening, please don't say that because that is, I think, ultimately what caused me anxiety is that I felt like my midwife wasn't on my team. And then I did have a C-section. And of course, I don't know if it was anxiety or my pelvis or whatever, but please, you know, be on your patient's team and don't say unhelpful comments like that. Oh, it's so imperative. I sometimes say things that I don't even believe to clients, like in an, in an effort to be encouraging, because it's so important for patients to feel like their care team believes in them and has got their back like unequivocally. So anything that you can say to introduce doubt, like I was talking with a colleague the other day about bishop scores. Like, I don't know that we should necessarily be, this is my own opinion. It's not, I'm not a medical provider. I don't know that we should necessarily routinely be offering bishop scores for induction unless a patient has asked for that. Because if it's super low, it just, like you said, it introduces that doubt. Well, can I do this? You know, and if the patient is really set on trying to go for a vaginal delivery, I think it can be really discouraging. And I've, I've witnessed clients go through that process knowing their bishop score was really low. And I really think it mentally impacted the space they were in for birth. So we have mentioned birth teams and a lot here kind of in this past little bit of our conversation. So how can doulas be seen as part of a member of the birth team? Yeah, while doulas are not a medical professional, as earlier mentioned, we are part of the birth team because we are there solely to support the birthing person. We don't speak on their behalf, but we do help them understand their options for labor and birth. And sometimes we're able to communicate options, particularly about unwanted interventions to a patient or a client, maybe a little differently or a little better than a practitioner who doesn't have the existing history with the patient. Like you said, we don't get to pick who's on call uh, for our labor and birth. We don't know who the nurse will be, who the provider will be. But ideally, you have a pre-existing relationship with your doula. So there's some trust built up there. 
and I've experienced this a number of times. So almost viewing the doula as a translator or a resource, if you will, because they have this close supportive relationship with the birthing person and their partner. And so that kind of level of trust is built in. It can help them feel less overwhelmed when things don't go according to plan and difficult decisions need to be made. Uh, when talking about like communication with the birth team, it's helpful when doctors, OBs, midwives, nurses introduce themselves to the doula, and likewise, the doula can introduce themselves in that role. I've been in situations where it was just assumed I was a friend or a part of the family, which isn't the end of the world, but I think understanding kind of the different roles in the space uh, can be helpful. And I always love it when a nurse writes my name on the marker board as a support person or as a doula. I think that um, helps helps me feel valued and helps me feel included and tells the patient that the nurse and the care team is taking the doula seriously and actually valuing um, their role in the space. Yeah, I think we talked about this earlier, but, you know, we're so short staffed in hospitals and even in L&D and to have an extra set of eyes, hands, whatever communication would be awesome. And so like, I think it would be really awesome if to have that, that person. So definitely work with them as a team member, because they can help you. And even at shift changes, like the the nurse from one shift can introduce the doula to the nurse at the next shift. I think that continuity of care, having someone who was there from earlier in the day to later in the day and knows, like has insight into what has unfolded and understands birth well or similarly to how the nurses and the doctors understand birth. I think that's a, a huge asset, truly. Well, I was just going to ask a very technical, well, I don't know, technical question, specific question. But when you're a doula, you know, nurses have like that, like you said, shift change or physicians have that. What What do you do if somebody's laboring for 24, 48 hours? Yeah, that's a great question. It's super tricky. And so part of it, we're trying to time it so that Ideally, we're only joining clients when they've hit active labor. We're not joining them for early labor, like the latent stages. But when there's an induction, I actually think it's really important for the doula to come at the beginning and help the patient get acclimated to the space, get comfortable, kind of get in the birthing zone. And so in that instance, I would go and get them settled in and then I would go home and sleep. But then, you know, it could be a a matter of hours, but sometimes it can be days before active labor is truly established. And so having your life kind of on hold during that time is challenging when you have small kids and other, you know, obligations and responsibilities. But I've come into births when we thought someone was in active labor or they were in active labor and they've still been quite long from that point, right? Where the active labor stage was long uh, and maybe even the pushing stage was quite long till delivery. And so, for me, I think it's always about trying to protect that energy and stamina, but also realizing your limits. And so I have had to call in on backup to come in and swap out with me uh, a handful of times in my career. I don't love it because I, you know, want that continuity of care. But if I can't stay awake and I like can't stand up, I'm no longer good support to my client too. And so I've kind of built relationships with other doulas in the community. And then I'm in communication with them where if I'm hitting that 18, 20 hour mark, 
I'm, I'm saying, hey, I need you to think about coming in and relieving me so this person can still have a doula there for delivery and postpartum that we try to stay for an hour or two after delivery to help if folks are breastfeeding, kind of help with that skin-to-skin bonding, uh, especially after a cesarean delivery, lots of kind of recovery tips and tricks that a doula can help with. So I hate it when that happens, but it definitely does happen that we re- we uh, rely on backup. And that's why um, the partnership model is actually probably more ideal than the solo doula model so that your patients or clients are meeting both doulas prenatally and they know both doulas going into it. And we do have some folks who work that way, too, in the community. I really liked how you mentioned, you know, writing the, your name on the board, because what we need to think about, too, as clinicians is if I have a bad feeling or I'm not responsive to the doula, not only them and I undermining you and what you're doing, but then I'm also undermining the patient and their choices. So I think, you know, as much as maybe you might have animosity or be like, well, doulas, is that you're you're also communicating, not really being on their team and supporting your patient the best that the best that you can. So Absolutely. And there's always gonna be personality differences and we talk about like good eggs and bad eggs. Not every nurse in the world is the best nurse. Not every doula in the world is the best doula. And so you're going to have maybe some interactions that are a lot more positive and maybe those that aren't. Like as doulas, we have providers that we really, really love and providers that when they come in the room, we're maybe not quite as excited about. But like that's the cards you've been dealt in the moment. And our job is to still keep that environment as positive, as uplifting and as calm as we can, even if maybe there would be a better shuffle a better deck of cards for a more optimal, you know, care team. So I think that's a really important point, Nicole. Oh, baby came out. (laughs) Yes, my milk just let down as we were talking and he woke up. So now I'm going to nurse while we record. So Stephanie, I'll let you ask the next question. (laughs) No, that's fine. So Nicole and I having our PhDs are all about evidence And I know that there has been some research on the benefits of doulas and birth. Do you know uh, about this evidence and can you share with our listeners the evidence surrounding the impact of the doulas? Yeah, I will preface this by saying that while the evidence and research does support doula support for improved maternal and infant outcomes, it's not something I typically advertise myself because I feel like it can be misleading to clients and patients that by securing a doula, you may perhaps be buying an outcome for birth. And I know we've already talked a lot about how things sometimes don't go according to plan. And I I hate to use statistics to try to convince someone to hire me because they think they're going to get something they might not. Doulas are incredibly beneficial. And when things don't go how we hope, it can feel like as a birthing person that If we did everything right and we hired the doula and still ended up with the things that doulas are supposed to prevent, um, that we have, yeah, that we've failed and that they maybe haven't gotten (laughs) what they signed up for. That being said, uh, the research does show that birthing people who receive continuous support of a doula are more likely to have spontaneous vaginal births, less likely to request or require pain medication or an epidural they weren't already planning on. Although there is nothing wrong with an epidural, I like to interject, (laughs) these folks are less likely to require vacuum or forceps delivery and less likely to have negative feelings associated with their childbirth. And that last one is the most important one to me. Like, 
we know in the spectrum of birth, so many different things can happen or not happen uh, that we're planning for or not planning for. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if the birthing person feels supported, empowered, respected, um, kind of heard in the process, even if it ended with a cesarean or an operative delivery, uh, having positive feelings or empowered feelings uh, associated with their childbirth and postpartum is really important to me. I've supported clients who've had all of these things, epidurals, operative vaginal deliveries, cesareans, and we know there are just no guarantees in childbirth. Um, And I think it's important when we do have less than desirable outcomes that clients feel fully aware of what's happening to them and are involved in the process as much as possible. That autonomy is really key to reducing birth trauma uh, versus having a procedure done passively to them without explanation. We also know for birthing people who identify as Black, Indigenous, persons of color, that having a doula or an advocate present for labor and birth is shown to decrease rates of maternal morbidity and mortality, which is noteworthy and very important. According to evidence-based birth, birthing people who have continuous support during labor report decreased anxiety, increased natural oxytocin production, increased self-esteem, increased mobility during labor and birth, and overall decreased pain. And while I don't see a doula's role as being there to take away pain for childbirth, I do think we are really good at empowering folks and bringing out their natural strengths to help them navigate uh, um, through labor, through birth, and through postpartum. Doulas also play an important role in agency and autonomy, supporting the patient's capacity to make their own decisions, to act and make their own choices. They help clients understand their options and can help facilitate, when necessary, conversations with care providers so that clients feel fully heard, fully understood, and they feel that they have ownership in their birth experience. And I mentioned this earlier, but a lot of what I think uh, doulas do and what nurses can do as well is validate and empathize when things are hard during labor and birth, affirm patients that they are doing everything right. I'm not sure we realize fully how valuable that can be. Uh, My clients often want to know that they're doing their best, they're not failing, both in pregnancy and postpartum, but especially during labor and birth. And I think sometimes that means as a care provider or as a doula going back and doing a debrief session following birth to answer questions about what happened during delivery, especially when things don't end how we're hoping they might end. I want to make a quick plug for uh, one of our favorite resources that you mentioned because is evidence-based birth. And we do actually have a podcast with Dr. Rebecca Decker for those who are listening now. Yeah, EBB or evidence-based birth. And she is fabulous and has done amazing things in this space of all things birth and evidence. So uh, I would implore all of our listeners to also check out uh, that episode or at the very least check out evidencebasedbirth.com. Yeah, I think Rebecca's got her own podcast. She's got a book. And um, I often refer my own clients to a lot of her free resources, especially when talking about options for labor and birth. She's got a lot of free resources available as well. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have a friend ask questions or tell me something and I'm like, okay, well, EBB says this. (laughs) Yeah. So go read it Um, because a lot of her patient-facing materials are free. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say back to like the evidence behind doulas. I really appreciated what you say, what you said, like, yeah, it, 
you're like the evidence shows like associations and big groups. Oh, sorry. But where I really think of evidence helping is showing the benefits to clinicians, but also because doulas are not something that's covered by insurance at the moment. And so I don't know, like if you can talk at all about that, like how your clients pay and is, you know, are doulas kind of something that is for a particular income level? Yeah, the goal would be that every birthing person would be able to have access to a doula. And I think until health insurance, Medicaid starts covering doula support, we have a little ways to go with that. But you'll see in some bigger cities where hospitals actually have doula programs where they're staffing doulas on the unit in shifts or working with local agencies to do so. Um, a lot of child abuse prevention services will um, sponsor doula support for their clients, which is really cool. Yeah. And so you were asking also about access for folks who have lower incomes. There are doulas who do offer free support or sliding skills, sliding scale support. It's just a little harder to find. And I think that based on the community you're in, there are often more or less doulas available. So in smaller rural communities, there's just less availability for doulas. But in bigger cities, you'll often see that there are programs who are helping to kind of fund some of that doula work. So we've kind of touched on communication a little bit. And obviously, we are all about communication in this podcast. So we want to ask you two specific questions about communication related to doulas. First, how can providers appropriately respond to a patient who wants a doula? Yeah, I think it's important that a care provider understands a doula is not automatically in competition or opposed to the values and desires of the OBGYN or the provider. Uh, a good doula does not have any agenda for the birth, and adding a doula to that team is really adding more support and more continuity of care for the patient. Because we know, as you said, realistically, neither the nurse or the provider can spend all of their time or a lot of time providing hands-on care during labor and birth. And a doula is able to be in that room continuously because they only have one patient to care for at a time. They don't need to chart or perform other clinical tasks. And a doula is a huge asset for encouraging things like movement during labor, position changes, pushing tips, other support things that may not automatically come up from a nurse or provider. It's really a win-win. And I think that if you see a good doula in action as a provider or a nurse, you will likely agree. And all that is to say is I would hope if a patient asked their provider about doulas, the provider would be supportive of that desire and maybe even refer them to local community research resources to help find them a doula uh, rather than being defensive and taking it as an insult. Because I don't see someone asking for additional support, uh, like necessarily as a comment on saying, oh, there's a lack of support from my provider. So our second question about communication is that can you share some tips on how clinicians can improve their communication with a doula during labor and delivery and the postpartum period? Everyone approaches this differently, but it's helpful when a doula can be collaboratively included in conversations about care in the labor and postpartum space. I generally don't speak directly to a care provider on the client's behalf. I might speak on my own behalf, but it is helpful to be spoken to directly. And like we said, considered a part of that care team because the doula has good insights on the client's hopes and wishes for birth in any moment. 
And sometimes in the intensity of labor and birth, a doula can remember things that are important or priorities to the patient that were previously discussed that the birthing patient might not be able to remember or even like speak at the moment, given the intensity of what's going on. One thing I do a lot, there are instances outside of an emergency, but I might ask directly to the patient, I might say, hey, do you want to take five minutes to think about this before you make this decision? If it's not urgent, if it's not emergent, trying to create space so that a patient has the opportunity to ask any questions if that wasn't already asked, if they had any questions, and make sure they have all the information they need to make their own decision. Doulas are really good at reading the room, creating space, creating that calm environment uh, whenever we possibly can. And I think it's important that the clinician understands the doula knows a lot about birth and the birthing process. And we're also thinking about all the possible bad outcomes and bad trajectories as well. We ultimately, above all else, want a healthy birthing person, a healthy baby, uh, no bad outcomes. And we're not there to impede the process. We're not there to make the providers or the nurse's life more difficult. We just want the best experience for our patient, and we might see different avenues or angles or options that uh, may be slightly out of what is the typical or the norm at any given time. I have a question just kind of thinking about, you know, the pendulum maybe swinging the other way. Have you experienced or seen it, or what could people do if Has there been a situation where the clinician maybe is just speaking to you and like around the patient? You know what I'm saying? Like they're now just directing their conversations to you instead of really including the patient. Has is that a thing? I'm sure it is a thing. I think I'm lucky that I don't think I've experienced that, but I'm sure people will direct their questions. Providers might direct their questions to a partner, for example, or a family member if they feel like the birthing person maybe is not able to make decisions. But I still think it's really important to include the birthing person and get their input and direct their, yeah, their questions to them. And yeah, working together as a team, yeah, you can get the input from the partner and the doula for sure. But ultimately, the decision should be the birthing person's to make whenever possible. So we've thrown this word around, good doula, bad egg, good egg. And so I think it's really important that we talk about, in your opinion, what makes a quote-unquote good doula. Yeah. Uh, trauma-informed care is a buzzword we're hearing a lot lately, but that one's, that is one that is really important to me. We're seeing increasing rates of birth trauma and just understanding and awareness of how trauma impacts our births and just our family systems in general. Ideally, someone who is compassionate, empathetic, uh, experienced, and knowledgeable on the hospital policies and procedures wherever their client is giving birth so that they can really help them navigate what options and resources are available. A good doula would be really well-resourced and connected in their community so that they can refer their client to resources and providers when needed, thinking about like lactation consultants, mental health, baby wearing, whatever kinds of things that their client might be interested in. And above all else, a, a good doula is able to hold space and show support for a wide variety of birth experiences and outcomes, not just one kind of birth. So having like good familiarity with a wide trajectory of 
births, pregnancy conditions and complications, postpartum conditions and complications. We're not mental health providers, but we do have training in recognizing basic perinatal mental mood disorders. And so being able to refer someone to an appropriate mental health care provider, I think is really important because we're coming in at a week to 10 days, usually postpartum. And we know now that like most people are not seeing a doctor until six weeks postpartum after birth. And so I think a doula can be an in-between person who's giving follow-up care after birth. And then lastly, a doula also involves and empowers the partner if, if there is a partner in the situation and the family support system also. And so the doula is not replacing those folks, but they're giving them concrete active strategies so that they can support the birthing person um, through these experiences. So say you're a clinician and you have a patient who wants a doula and maybe they're looking for a recommendation from you. Like how can a clinician vet a doula themselves or are there resources? How, how do you find a doula if you're a clinician to make those connections? Yeah, that's a really good question. If you don't already have a personal relationship or history or you haven't observed doulas working in your practice that you feel comfortable saying, oh, hey, you should go call Grace or you should go call so-and-so. I think maybe asking around in your practice, usually midwives, if you have midwives at your practice, have good working relationships with doulas or know how to get in touch with the local doula groups. There is a service called doulamatch.net and most, if not all, local doulas are registered on that service to find doulas. So doulamatch.net is one way to look them up. I think, yeah, word of mouth referrals are often how doulas get business. So asking other providers if you don't know one personally. But it is a really good question, Nicole, because some hospitals do actually have lists of approved doulas who are allowed to practice. And you have to get on that list before you can support there. We don't have that system here in Iowa City, but I think... It's a complicated, tricky issue because there's no like universal system for training. There's no universal system for certification. And so, how, yeah, how do you vet a doula um, when it's such a kind of individualized, personalized service uh, and lots of people have really varying backgrounds and varying levels of experience? And you can't gain experience without access to, you know, the hospital, without access to supporting birth. So that's, it's a great question, and I don't have a good answer for it. Well, I, do, I wanted to ask about training. So what kind of training do doulas do? Or most doulas? Uh, most doulas do a three-day birth training, and it's like an all-day intensive training. And prior to the pandemic, those were always in person. You always had to travel to go where the instructor was. And then on the either the front end or the back end of the in-person component, you're doing tests, you're reading books, you're writing papers, and then there's a huge certification packet that is with whatever agency you're going through with a, whatever doula agency you're going through has their own certification guidelines and requirements, but they vary pretty widely from certification body to certification body. So there's not a lot of consistency. So what do you see as the future of doula services? I think that's really important because I am observing that myself and many of my colleagues are experiencing high levels of burnout, just like you in nursing and other medical professions right now. I think caregiving in general, we look at education, it's so challenging um, to exist in this way and provide the care that we do um, with the kind of lack of support that we have 
societally, culturally, and within our own institutions. So for me, it was really challenging to be on call 24-7 by myself, uh, especially as a solo doula. And my dream would be to see health insurance companies start reimbursing for doula services in a sustainable way, in a sustainable rate, Uh, as well as, like we said, hospitals staffing doulas on their units in shifts, similar to how nurses are staffed. Um, could be more sustainable for folks. Uh, We know that doulas can improve outcomes, but even when birth doesn't go how we're hoping, in general, our goal is always to increase patient satisfaction, increase positive experiences, and decrease birth trauma, which we know that doulas can do and should be a priority to hospitals and especially labor and delivery units everywhere. And while it's not the doula's role to replace a nurse or a provider, we know that staffing issues are a real problem right now, especially on labor and delivery units. So I think that patient care can be provided by a doula that can help lighten the overall load of nurses. As far as the future and kind of advancements and what we're seeing in the doula world, during the pandemic, a lot of folks, including myself, transitioned into virtual support when we weren't allowed uh, in hospitals. And that has kind of continued even as the pandemic has ebbed and flowed, offering virtual prenatal support, virtual childbirth ed classes, virtual birth prep, comfort measured courses. And it's not the same as in-person support. No one is arguing that it is, but I think it does increase accessibility, especially in areas where there isn't in-person doula support readily available. And especially for that prenatal and postpartum period, my clients who choose to hire me for virtual support still find it really helpful. So that's kind of one thing that we've seen really shift in the past few years, and I anticipate will continue in the future. What has been hospital policies related to doulas? Well, the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics allowed us in during almost all of COVID, except for the very early months, the the first few months. And we've been allowed in uh, ever since September of 2020. And that's never gone back. Uh, And until this spring, we were not allowed in any of the three other area hospitals. So we went two years without being allowed in person, unless a a patient were to choose us as the primary support person. But that would mean not having your partner with you, which understandably, I don't think folks want to do. I wouldn't want to do that either. So different hospitals, different approaches. So I don't know if we got into this at all, but I think folks probably have a decent idea of what you do during active labor. What do you do, say, during the C-section, or what are you? What do you do during postpartum? How are you supporting patients? Yeah, that's a really important distinction, Nicole. Uh, during a cesarean, we're not always allowed back to the OR. It really depends on the anesthesiologist and the providers, but. Um, I've been fortunate to develop really good working relationships with a lot of providers over the years so that they know I can respect the sterile field. I know how to like behave appropriately in the OR. Uh, and so when I am allowed back, I'm advocating for family-centered cesarean practices so that if a client uh, does want the clear drape, they know they have the option of the clear drape. They're comfortable and supported with blankets and pillows. We're keeping the environment calm if we can, that the patient is able to do skin-to-skin if that's something that's desired, but really just the same thing as during a vaginal delivery, bringing them back to their breath, focusing on their connection with their body and their baby, trying to help them feel like they're involved in the process. Like you said, explaining what's happening if they want to know what's going on, letting them know what to expect, telling them what's normal, helping them with nausea or vomiting, kind of assisting with that. 
um, and just kind of being there as a reassuring, calm presence. Oh, and you asked about postpartum as well. Um, Postpartum is pretty varied, but the difference between a postpartum doula and like a nanny or a night nurse is we're there really to support the birthing person, the mother, uh, and their whole family unit versus just coming in to do infant care. We are specially trained in infant care, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, pumping, infant sleep, diapering, bathing, all of those things we're capable of helping with that as well. But we want to assist the birthing person in their recovery, whether that be following a vaginal birth, following a cesarean birth. Uh, So coming into their home, talking to them about what their own priorities are for healing and recovering and trying to support them in that. So it is often me holding the baby so mom can go take a bath, eat a meal in peace, get a nap. Like those are top three things that are not often happening. But sometimes it's sitting and processing a birth story. I do that a lot um, during postpartum processing what's happened with a birth, validating, affirming, connecting folks to resources when they want to learn about any given topic or something. So would you say that the bulk of like your postpartum support is happening in the home or in the hospital? Yeah, primarily in the home. And I, every doula does this differently, but I actually support families through the whole first year following birth. So sometimes people want me to come in right away and help with infant care, but sometimes folks wait until their partner has gone back to work after paternity leave or maternity leave when things feel even more hectic. Um, Right now, the clients I'm supporting are nine and 10 months postpartum and their babies just aren't sleeping at night. And so they need someone to come in during the day when they're home alone with their babies and just, yeah, keep them company, spend time with them, validate, and like take their baby and put them down for a nap so they can go eat a meal, take a bath go for a walk, do some yoga. So it's really the the promotion of self-care, uh, wellness, emotional well-being, physical well-being for the whole family, but especially the birthing person. Nicole's going to hire you. <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, everything you're saying, I'm like, people do that? That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it is really interesting. In Iowa, it's not a well-known service, but in bigger cities and urban areas, it is kind of a posh thing, <laughs> kind of a like maybe more upper class thing to have a postpartum doula like an accessory but I really I mean ideally everyone would have that kind of support in the absence of the village when we're no longer living with our relatives we're no longer living with a support system built in I think a doula can come in that role be in the home hold space witness what's happening and and also yeah like I said earlier be on the lookout when things are not going well and be that kind of gentle encouragement to maybe seek outside help when that's necessary and anecdotally we're seeing postpartum anxiety rates of like 80% you know during the pandemic and since the pandemic and so the The lack of support, because we're not physically seeing people as much during pandemic is part of that, but we also just live such isolated lives in our own homes. We don't have a community of other like parents and families around us. I think it's a a really hard time of life to get through, and I think a postpartum doula can be a piece of that puzzle. Can I just have a life doula? Is that a- <laughs> I know. I we joke about that. My doula friends and I joke about that all the time. Like when we're going through something really challenging, I will text my friend and be like, "Can you be my life doula right now? I need I need you to doula me through this." We use it as a verb quite a bit. I need you to doula me through this. <laughs> I need a doula for my four year old. <laughs> yeah. Amen. I've got a three nager right now. Oh, they need to specialize in in doulas for that. <laughs> that would be worth every penny to me, right? Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
I'm curious, and if you don't know the answer to this, that's fine. But how do doulas work in Europe? Is this like a more established service in Europe? I feel like Europe is always has like way more support for people. That is a great question. And I don't know the okay. answer. They certainly are more supportive of midwifery care. Mm-hmm. And it's more commonplace to see midwife use in Europe. I don't know how doulas really operate over there. I don't have a lot of experience or like knowledge base there. But I do know that in general, both birth and postpartum doulas are much more popular and used in places like New York, Chicago, LA. That's It's a very common thing that people would use. And it's not so much here, but I think that's changing with time. Mm-hmm. And especially as people understand that a doula is not synonymous with hippie home birth, like that it's not the same. It can be, and that's totally fine. I'm not knocking that whatsoever, but realizing that doulas have roles in other systems as well. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you about the hospital doulas because that is not anything I've ever heard of. And I'd love to hear about that more sometime. We have a midwife working on a grant for that now at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. It's been in the works for a while, but um, it's all about funding. I'm sure you know, (laughs) it's finding the funding for that. Um, But I think that could, if we really monitored that, like with, you know, research, I think you would see an increase in patient satisfaction. I I hope you would see uh, better outcomes as well, which I know is important. But overall, I think patient satisfaction would for sure be increased. Yes. Stephanie, sounds like you have a project. I know. I know. I'll be emailing (laughs) you, Grace. (laughs) Absolutely. I also want to just kind of take a second to talk about postpartum and mental health and how you're talking about support people and support persons. And I don't remember who I was having this conversation with because I (laughs) don't remember a lot lately. But I was talking to someone that this is now my third birth. And this is the first time that a clinician took the time to explain to my husband signs and symptoms of postpartum depression and psychosis. And like to him and said, these are things that you need to watch for in her because if she has psychosis, she's not going to know it. And now that I reflect on it, I'm like, that's incredible that it's now taken my third kid for someone to give that education piece to my husband because he otherwise, you know, he's not in this space. He's a dentist. <laughs> like, you know? And I think it, it now that, again, that I reflect on it, I'm like that I felt reassured that someone took the time to educate him on how to support me. And for the first time, he... He did a mental check-in and was like, hey, how are you mentally? Like, is there anything that we need to talk about? And again, this is the first time. And I'm not saying this is like my husband didn't care about me with my other children. But he had this piece and felt empowered and, you know, brought it up to me, which I thought was fabulous. No, I think education and awareness are so important. And I'm I'm positive that no one had that conversation with my husband at any point. I think it's it's really important. We talk a lot about how even prenatally, but especially postpartum, folks ask how the baby is doing. We have baby showers. We, you know, we bring gifts for the baby, but it's not often that we are asking how the mother is doing, asking how the birthing person is doing. And I think that's a unique role that a postpartum doula can play. 
like that question, how are you really from someone who you know you can be vulnerable and honest with and not just give a cursory, I'm fine answer is so, I think so important and so can be so powerful. I find typically if clients have a relationship with and know me, I don't often get the answer. I just, I'm fine. Everything's great. Like they're going to tell me what's going on in their life and I can be there to listen and hold space and validate. And, you know, just like when you're in therapy, your therapist can't necessarily fix things for you when things are wrong. But, um, having a professional there who knows what the spectrum of normal is and is looking out for any like red flags or warning signs, I think is really important because there's not really someone else in that role, uh, especially if you're not already in therapy or any other kind of mental health services. You're just having that quick six-week postpartum check. You're filling out the little perinatal mood assessment, maybe after delivery and then at that six-week check. But even then, if you qualify for services, our waiting times right now are we and months to get in to see a perinatal mental health specialist in Iowa. And so I think a doula, while not taking the role of a mental health provider, can help fill the gaps and help people feel more supported, which we know can help with mental health. Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking earlier, I would have totally loved to have a doula after my first. I think that would have been so helpful. I mean, all the time, but I'm just thinking my life would have been so much better. And that postpartum period. Absolutely. Just someone to like talk to and run things by and express frustrations and just problem solve with, um, I think can be really, really valuable. Yes, very much. So you talked about this doulamatch.net. Are there any other places where our listeners can go to learn more about doulas and even find one in their own community? Yeah, if you Google doulas in whatever the name of your city is, you'll get a lot of results. Oftentimes, when I'm getting inquiries, they're coming from Google or social media groups. People are asking like in local mom groups for doula recommendations. I get a lot of referrals from former clients who are referring their friends or family members. Um, We talked about doula match. Um, You can definitely learn more about doulas in general by Googling doulas. Uh, Dona.com or Dona.org probably is uh, a resource that will have a lot of information as well. They're kind of the original doula training agency in the United States. And if we have a listener right now who maybe wants, they're like, this sounds like a great career. I want to be a doula. Should they also go to that Dona.org or... Yeah, Dona.org is a great resource. I think Google, how do I become a doula? You will get tons and tons of um, information as well. Well, I'm building on that again, because we do have listeners who aren't clinicians or even clinicians who maybe want to become doulas. When you're looking at these accrediting or, you know, certifying bodies, are there some red flags? Are there ones that are better than others? Or, you know, what makes a good training or a good certification? That is a great question. And a lot of people have really strong opinions about that topic and subject. I had a hard time choosing for this reason, because when researching, at least on the internet, and even on social media, everyone has pretty strong opinions about which group is best and which ones are not. And I think it's important to look at what the mission and the values, like the mission statement and the kind of listed objectives of that organization are and make sure that they align with you. And so... I think some places are going to be better about like trauma informed care and the full spectrum of care and caring for different 
you know, high risk populations, whereas other places maybe are not right now putting an emphasis on that, that would be kind of a, a red flag or something that would be important to me wanting to have truly inclusive care so that you're best equipped to provide empathetic support for anyone you might come in contact with. But yeah, there are for sure agencies who've been around a lot longer. There are a lot of newer agencies as well. And people have a lot of strong opinions about those things. Fair. <laughs> so Grace, I would personally like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health through communication. Do you have any last thoughts you would like to add before we end? Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again for having me and for furthering awareness and education about doula support that it even exists uh, for medical professionals. Doulas absolutely love nurses. We love midwives. We love OBs. We want to work with you alongside you and make your lives easier as well. We're definitely not there to make your life or your cases more difficult. We often have a lot of experience supporting things like operative vaginal deliveries, cesarean birth, being in the OR. We understand a decent amount about anesthesia, recovery, mother-baby, NICU, and sometimes I think if there are misunderstandings with our role or our responsibilities when those miscommunications happen, just wanting to say, I think, talking directly and openly to the doula, like most situations in life, just being honest and upfront can help clear up some of those miscommunications if things aren't uh, going how you're hoping. Well, I wonder, do we want to go down this road and talk about, you know, what should a clinician do if they do disagree with something that the doula is saying or vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I would love to see them after the birth or in a, a point when it's calm and not maybe like a heated moment or a stressful moment in front of the client or the patient. I would love to see, yeah, the doctor or the clinician, the nurse kind of approach them and say, hey, when this happened, you know, I noticed or I observed or I felt, you know, using those I statements and explaining, you know, it didn't maybe feel appropriate to me that you did X, Y, Z, or I was concerned when you did X, Y, Z, and just doing that directly ideally as close to as soon as possible, and then maybe giving the doula the opportunity to explain themselves so they know what the doula was thinking or why they did that. Yeah, thank you for that. Last question, Nicole. I think that was good. And thanks, Grace. Yes, thank you so much, Grace. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. Mm -hmm.